coming to get you, Barbara. So today on Happy Little Screams, uh, me and Tim have a good friend of ours uh, by the name of Alex, who is here to explain to us about a new show called Utopia, I'm taking was the subject of this. Yes, uh, which came out, I want to say, in September, but yeah, it's new to us here in the States. Now, I normally use a, I don't know. I use my normal voice, but for whatever reason, last week, I don't know if I was just exceptionally high. I'm in a legal state, so that's one thing. Uh, I had thought that I would try to conduct this entire uh, conversation with you in a sort of Southern Belle sort of voice and just I'm on my last damn nerve type of voice. But uh, I don't know if I could keep that voice that accent up the whole time. No, don't. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought like, I thought that would be appropriate for you. <laughs> well, I mean, I did live in, in Metairie for a while out in Louisiana, just outside New Orleans. So not that, not but, that you were Southern, but I wanted to impress by impress you by being just um, a lispy fella. <laughs> um, but all all humor aside, uh, uh, Tim has stepped out to take care of his dog. So there oh, he Tim comes. Is back He's now. Back. He's back. Yeah, so, the little girl was uh, attacking me and thought that uh, made me think that she had to go out. But no, she did not have to go out. She just wanted to play outside. And it yeah, is she needs, right now. She needs another dog or a child or something. To yeah, bite on. It, it's 1030. It, right now is not the time to go outside and throw the ball. She don't know that she's a dog. She she's like know. a toddler. She yeah. is very much like a toddler. Everything goes in her mouth. Everything mm-hmm. goes in her mouth. <laughs> yeah. No, um, no dirty comments. All right, so Utopia. Uh, I love Rain Wilson, and Jim Cusack's in this as well. Yeah, yeah, John Cusack. It's great. So I mean, that sold me. I was like, yeah, I gotta watch this at some point. But I have to say, I'm always disappointed whenever John Cusack is in a movie and Joan Cusack isn't, because she's one of my favorite character actresses of all time. I, I um, agree. I had no idea who she was for the longest time because people kept talking about her, and then I think it was. Um, uh, gross point blank yes. where I finally figured out who she was and I was like holy shit I've seen this woman in so many things and she's that she was that Since actress at that point yeah, yeah she was that actress that I was always like oh she, she's amazing she was the sister in toys with Robin Williams yes that's oh. where I know her from strangely enough that's where I know her from <laughs> I just remember, I'm trying to think which movie it was uh, back in the 80s where she's got the neck brace and she's always trying to drink from the water fountain. It just slips my mind right now, but it's one of the (laughs) funniest. It just just adds so many many funny images in my head right now. Oh, she has to like lean to the side and like lap it up with her tiny chest inside. Kind of like, kind of like one uh, of those, uh, those, uh, those ducks that, like, when you pull it back, it just yes, <laughs> totally. But it's always candles. a missed, uh, not having, candles. not having Joan Cusack in something is always a missed opportunity. That's yep. fair. Although, where I mean, she she definitely would have played a well. No, she's done some pretty serious characters. Like, I I could definitely see her playing some of the comic book nerds at the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like a character throughout the rest of the movie, everything was played so straight. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything where she plays a straight character like that. Hmm. Like she's usually comic relief or she's that over the top bad guy. Like there's always something right. extreme about her character. Right. Yep. Uh, I'm sure we'll think of it or I'll think of it at like four o'clock in the morning after we're done with the, the podcast. That's Because yeah, we time. plan on finishing at 3.59. So. Okay. Sounds okay. perfect. <laughs> when all my best ideas come to me when i'm trying to lay down to go to sleep and then suddenly mm. my eyes bolt open i go oh yeah if i did that that would happen See, the Good thing stuff. is the thing that you're doing wrong there is you're actually closing your eyes to go to sleep just forget mm. about sleep because we do not need sleep those bare naked ladies once said who needs sleep no you're never gonna get it did they really <laughs> is that in a song they have an entire song around sleep and here's a fun fact every album bare naked ladies does they do one song in the recording studio but naked and that was the one song on that album. Really? Good for them. Hot damn. I like when people really feel themselves. Yeah. Uh, well, Live their they, truths. Hopefully they weren't feeling themselves while recording the song. because that's Hey, gonna, whatever makes the music work, man. That's, that's, right. that's going to make some of those songs have a completely different. Like, can you imagine like somebody having that song playing at their wedding or at, like their <laughs> bat mitzvah or something like that? And then somebody's like, just so you know, they were completely naked and touching themselves <laughs> while they made this song. Uh, <laughs> well, here, here's the sad fact is most recording like that is done in closed studios. So we don't know how many bands are already doing this. Yeah, I mean, Red Hot Chili Peppers used to perform at the Anti Club with like just wearing a sock. Socks. Yep. I remember the song. I heard about. I thought that was a a rumor. I didn't or not a myth. I didn't realize that was real. The socks thing. They did a live performance on. I think it was MTV for Spring Break or something with the socks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh shit. Yep. Oh, the days of only having socks. Like now they would have to also wear face masks. I was yeah. I was at a. I used there was a. Mr. T's Bowl used to have these like indie rock nights and there was a Japanese metal band that came uh, from overseas to perform in this little venue and it was the drummer was in a sock only. I don't remember if by the end all of them were in socks only but it was one of the greatest little shows I've ever seen. It was so exciting. Um, That's crazy. They were great. Uh, and I will find their name at five o'clock in the morning after we wrap up the podcast. Uh, uh, me and you actually went and saw somebody at uh, Mr. T's Bowl. Probably. Yeah. Um, I forget the name of the the I forget the name of the band, but I, we have a photo of me and you out there. That was when you had your like six foot tall mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> you had yeah, a super right. high mohawk. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, for I sure. I love that. I, so uh, this is a little kind of side story anecdote. Uh, Tim, I, I told you a few times about my buddy down in California who had Order of the, uh, the Order of the Fly band, and I used to hang around with him all the time. Um, who, who ran um, miles, and he was like in two different bands. He drew a bunch of comics and stuff. He's the one who took me to the Comic-Con. That's how I got to ran a booth at Comic-Con that one year. Anyways, uh, so he was doing a show uh, with I think it was Order of the Fly was a show that was there, and they had a band perform before them called the New Tickles, and they introduced <laughs> themselves as foreigners. They're just like, oh, yes, we are from a different country. We do not know this country, and he sold it, too. My buddy was like, oh, yeah, no, they're totally not from here, and then after the show, I found out they were just, like, from Burbank or something. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> but that was the gimmick. Uh, and, a, and a fun anecdote about that was the New Tickles, uh, some little nobody band that opened for my buddy's band. Years later, I'm listening to uh, this web series, Ask a Ninja. I don't know if either of you know Ask a Ninja. Mm-mm. I don't know. This was before the YouTube days. It was back when it was still like flash animation and stuff. The series, you can go on and watch them on YouTube still because uh, they transported them over where people ask a ninja things like, you know, a ninja, how do you buy things at the store? Well, the ninja goes to the store by sneaking in through the roof. And the opening song <laughs> is this little, uh, you know, pop punk ditty that's like, I am ninja. You are ninja. We are ninja too. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, this is the band that opened for my buddy's band that pretended they were foreigners. That's cute. It's a small world. Small, strange little world. Especially uh, Los Angeles area. Like everybody knows everybody there. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, kind of. I mean, when you're when you're talking about specific circles, like if you're talking about the film industry, oh right, right. You you end up seeing the same exact people over and over and over again, even though it's a giant uh giant community you're just kind of like stuck in your corner it's like yeah and if you're into uh you know queer art or a certain type of music scene you're gonna run into the same people you're gonna see the same faces whether you introduce yourselves or not is an entirely different story but (laughs) just be the little wallflower but still doing all the stuff that's right yeah yeah so uh utopia utopia Utopia, uh, Utopia. Hey. So, so, mm. so, yeah, my sister was trying to get me to watch this show. Uh, I want to say for about like three months, and I kept telling her, like, because she tried to get me to watch The Man in the High Castle, which is apparently a really good show. Uh, I have not watched it, but it's one of those shows that, to me, based on the trailers, is very heady. And when I saw the trailers for Utopia, I was excited because I'm like, cool comic books you know i love comic books but it felt very heady based on uh everything that i was seeing it plus the whole idea of like uh pandemic tense and and things like that timely but dude when i watched it holy fucking shit Mm -hmm. uh well to start with man in the high high castle was based off of philip k dick uh book and they made some changes but it is a heavy uh peace and it deals with heavy topics and it also it's not something you can just put on in the background like you have to pay attention to it the Mm -hmm. same with utopia uh but different it's not as um what's the word i don't know there's a little bit of of we're doing this show ironically that goes on so there are kind of jokes within jokes uh okay are happening when you're watching utopia but i was surprised to discover that it's based off a uk series that came out yeah. in like 2014 i oh. i just found that out today there was uh two seasons which mm-hmm. uh, we will not have in the american version um so it'll be interesting to see where the story went where that we didn't get to see right so it's on my queue to uh to watch so have they are they not doing a second season of utopia is that what no it's yeah it's it's been canceled and and from what i understand it's been canceled because of covid because the money that they were going to use for it i guess is has been used on other things or is not available to go toward this show which so there's uh, theoretically a potential that they might pick it up once the post-covid shows start to pick up again uh, not according to Amazon so far. 
They, mm. they, there's been certain shows that they've just outright canceled, just like with Netflix canceling right. a bunch of shows. Yeah. Uh, which is a shame because it leaves you on such a. There are so many loose ends to be tied up. Uh, yeah. The the first season definitely uh, set you up for a second season. Yeah, and I, I gotta say, um, the show surprised me at every single turn like i didn't feel like much of it was very predictable the only predictable part uh and sean sorry spoilers here first the, of all spoilers do not affect me so you okay. can spoil the crap out of it but for the people at home spoiler. <laughs> this episode may contain spoilers and nuts and in the factory that contains milk spoilers. Well, i was gonna say three nuts because there's th one night on <laughs> each one of these uh, microphones here <laughs> Um, the one part that was extremely predictable to me was when Wilson Wilson is in his bunker mm -hmm. and when he's left alone, the first thing I said, uh, I, first thing I thought was those two, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Arby, Arby, Arby and the other guy are going to come down here. Like they're, mm -hmm. he's going to find them. And then as soon as the kids walk up and they disappear and, and go do their thing, we all of a sudden see uh, Arby and the other guy come in. That was the only part to me that was predictable. Everything else about it just threw me for curves. Right. And I think they did a great job of not, they just kind of treated the audience with in, intellect. Like they're, they just assume that their audience is smart enough to go with the flow and they didn't have to pander to anybody or, uh, which I enjoyed. That's a big problem I have with a lot of shows. I've, I've done this uh, so long, watched movies, written stuff, been on the back end, like where you are with the filmmaking side of it. And so I'm at that point where I'll be watching a show with my wife and I, I tell her this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Like five minutes in the show, mm -hmm. I know exactly like the beats, what the, you know, the upticks how everything is going to develop. You know, sometimes I'm thrown. It's obviously I can't predict everything, but a lot of it's formulaic. The industry loves its formulas. So yeah. to find shows that are one, don't aren't patronizing and don't talk down the audience and expect them to understand what's going on. And also uh, to take you places that you you're, don't see coming like that, that sells me right there. Yeah. And I, I also like that your protagonist is an anti-hero. Uh, yeah, because she is not a good person. I mean, like every every person in the show is a three dimensional character with flaws. Like there isn't anyone in the show yeah. that is not flawed, uh, and that's that's pretty cool. Well, what what about the uh, um, the male lead? Um, I forget his name. The uh, kind of dorky one that falls in love with the girl who has the disease. Ian. Okay, so yeah, Ian. Ian is. Well, he has his. I mean, the coward. Yeah, um, he's a coward. So he's definitely, you know, the cowardly lion in this scenario. Um, I, I would say, if anything, he's the he's the one who doesn't really have any flaws because you've got the. Uh, well, actually, the the girl with the disease. What's her flaw besides the fact that she's got this disease? She doesn't have one, which is funny because uh, everybody says at some point, it seems like all the characters say, you know, Becky, she's really nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, and it's true. Um, but I mean, Wilson Wilson definitely has a lot of flaws, especially oh, yeah. you, you see that at the end because he, he turns and that, that actually surprised me quite a bit. Um, although when they cut away before he pulls the trigger, 
you kind of you kind of like okay something something weird happened here um but like he's he's a fanatic that is playing at conspiracy theories because you can see that for him it's not about actually solving the conspiracy or or stopping it from happening but actually putting the pieces together he's like the like the puzzle person rather than the CIA agent who's going to go and 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 finish things off so right. so let's start from the beginning what what is the concept of the show what is the show about do you want to take this or <laughs> sure so the the show is basically uh the premise of the show is that there is an underground graphic novel uh, and there are some hardcore fans of this graphic novel because it's super cool. And there are some hardcore gra- fans of the graphic novel because they feel like there's a hidden message in the graphic novel. They believe that this graphic novel dystopia predicts uh, all sorts of viral catastrophes and biological warfare uh, so that you could anticipate it. Um, So the graphic novel, I think the timeline is supposed to be that it comes out in 2014 and then some random people find the sequel uh, and uh, to the novel called Utopia and they decide that they're going to sell it. And as soon as it goes on the market, hilarity ensues so you've got our core group of people which is so, um, so who wrote this was this nostradamus or like no no so no. well it is written by somebody who's at the the, the heart of the the series uh, that you don't even meet in the first season yeah uh so this group of basically you know comic-con type folks that believe in the conspiracy aspect of this graphic novel uh, try to get together to buy it. So you've got uh, Ian, this girl Becky, this girl Samantha, uh, Wilson Wilson, who's, you know, the guy that lives in the bunker with the red string connecting all these, you know, cut out newspapers. Yeah, he's got your red, red string wall, Sean. Hey, I bought I bought a huge uh, thing of red string just so I could do that at some point. We actually uh, at work, we were changing out the billboards and uh, one of the employees was leaving. So the week before she left, did this big newspaper clip out conspiracy map just to mess with people. And then so upon uh, the revelation that this new graphic novel has surfaced, uh, all of a sudden, like assassins show up and it just doesn't explain to you anything yet. Everything just kind of unfolds when it's supposed to. Uh, but I will say that the these hitmen are played by kind of what I would think hitmen would be played by people that just yeah. kind of look normal, you know, and they're not dressed in all black like they're just but they're definitely kind of weird uh, and I have to say it's very humorous. The montage of them whacking all these people yes. is really funny. Yeah. Um, so that kind of like sets the 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 tone. So you've got this group so it's of like people. It's like a comedy? Like a dramedy? No. No. It's, really, it's just got it really... some dark humor. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's 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 played serious, but it's got comedic like sequence or, or setup yeah, is kind of comedic. That's kind of what I was talking about. The irony aspect of it. It's like they're they're almost poking fun at the genre of conspiracy theories and hitmen and stuff like that in its own way, uh, which I really like. Um, yeah, in 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 a definitely in a way, it, it feels more real. I think because mm-hmm. of that, like yeah. Arby, um, he he plays the character as though he's a slow character, like o- almost 
I, I almost thought that he had like some sort of syndrome of some sort uh, right. with the way the character is played. But you, it, it turns out it's just it's the way he was raised that makes him um, as calculating and low in speech, but quick, as we find out later, like super quick in his actual abilities to do what he's done because his entire life was spent learning to do exactly that. Yeah, he's definitely got a his his moral compass is set very black and white. It's just yeah. pointing in the wrong direction. Uh, but he has like no compulsion. And, and I actually like his character arc of all the characters. I, I actually like his the best in this way that like people who some people who are into conspiracy theories, they can get indoctrinated and they can become extremists and just not see any other path but theirs mm -hmm. and so this character throughout the season starts to see things from a different perspective yeah I think slowly the, dawn on him well well i think it's not that it slowly dawns on him now i think it's when he reads the comic because mm. he's told not to and then remember he sees uh, so, Sean, he's uh, Arby is basically sent to get this comic book and to find the main character, Jessica Hyde. And Jessica Hyde is the person that the book is basically about. And you don't know exactly why she's important until the last portion of this episode, because they don't show you the conclusion of the comic. They show you bits and pieces of the comic. Uh, but we find out that Arby is actually Jessica Hyde's brother and that in the comic book he's referred to as a monster and he was created to do what he uh do what he did so basically his entire backstory and what he's believed his entire life is not true so i think once he sees that 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 page there he realizes he's been lied to but it is interesting that he continues to work for the people who he at this point realizes has been lying to him well and it's it's interesting too because he starts having he starts having feelings about certain people that he's assassinating. So there is one scene where he has to assassinate this young boy. Yeah. And then he just screams, you know, after the deed is done. And it's the first time you see him emote. Uh, I, and I they, Well, they didn't, they didn't explain exactly why that was, but I think I know why that was. Hmm. That kid looked very similar to him. And as we saw, on the on the farm, there are so many kids that kind of look the same. I wonder if that was another kid that was created and maybe okay. even like Arby's little brother or like some sort of relation of some sort. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's that. Uh... So the, the story is you've got this group of people, they get their hands on this graphic novel. They're trying to solve the puzzle of the graphic novel. They're trying to follow the signs importance and put the puzzle together uh and they slowly start realizing that it is a warning of another virus that is going to cause a global pandemic and it's their responsibility to put an end to it meanwhile they're being chased by the people who are trying to release the virus uh and uh in that way it's relevant to today in uh yeah, it was it was very eerie when I started watching it. I'm like, this is basically a step by step uh, depiction of what has just happened to everybody in the world. Right. So instead of you know a bat in a uh, open market, open air market, it's uh, bunny rabbits at like a county fair. And well, but don't they early on? Don't they take something from bats? 
I could have swore that there were bats at the beginning because they inject the bunny rabbits and the bunny rabbits are the transmission, like when the kids touch right. them. Right. Yeah, because it's supposed to be a derivative of some Peruvian bat flu. Yes. Yep. And yep. Uh, uh, so that's where that comes in. Um, but right. So it's just, you know, a, a, a different way of transmitting this virus. And since the uh, the bunnies travel from show to show, uh, it spreads pretty quickly. And it all starts with like kids in schools, which is why it becomes a major thing for all the parents and everybody around. And the 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 thing that was scary to me is the way they did the vaccine portion of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had this they had this pandemic, like it was it was declared a pandemic because of how it was spreading and who it was affecting, and it was a major thing. It was all over the news. Everybody was talking about it, and then. This guy, um, played by uh, Rain, Rain Wilson, Michael Wilson, Stearns, yeah, yeah um, finds or, or asks for a sample of it, and of course he gets a sample of it, and the sample shows that it's his virus that he found years before in Pan was it Pan or Peru, Peru, the Peru, Peruvian right. bat thing. So he thinks he has a cure for it. So he immediately takes it to John Cusick's character, who's like. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's throw this like right into production. We don't need to test it. It's already been tested, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Michael Stearns is like, wait, we have to go through due diligence. And Cusack's like, no, 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 we don't have to. Uh, it's already been tested. Let's push it forward. Let's push it forward. And after a long period of time, um, they, they go through a bunch of things in order to convince uh, Michael Stearns to back the vaccine but the vaccine is just a carrier for something else and it's right this entire thing has been orchestrated so part of the part of this within twists right and so there's there's twists in every episode but so part of the thing about this vaccine and how it correlates to what's happening today is that Mm -hmm. uh the fda uh for any kind of medications drugs in the u.s they go through all this rigorous testing it takes years um well, for the COVID vaccine, they are just pushing it through. There's no yep. prolonged testing. Uh, the same thing with this. In the series, they are pushing this vaccine through because of public outcry. And the public outcry is all tied into social media. So how yep. quickly news spreads uh, through social media. I mean, it's it's insane. I think it was 2018 they had some researchers at MIT uh, study how quick uh, false news, and I say false news because I feel like fake news is politically charged, but like just how falsehoods travel through, uh, they're they're 70% more likely to be retweeted um, than actual true stories. And they're also, uh, true stories take like six times as long to get out as false stories do. Uh, so it ties into that how you can rally people, especially around the cause of saving young kids' lives. I mean, who's against saving young kids' lives? Well, I know a couple of people, but <laughs> basically, <laughs> for the most part, you know, that's a cause anybody can get behind. So yeah. with the social outcry, um, getting all these people together, if you put pressure on the government, typically they'll at least give it a harder look and move a little faster. So 
um, without doing their due diligence, they go ahead and release this vaccine. And like Tim says, the vaccine isn't all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, that's, it, uh, it, that's the product of uh, <clears throat> that's the product of propaganda. I mean, with the uh, the whole was the the weed thing, reefer madness. The whole, mm. you know, think of the poor children. It's, oh, right, yeah. uh, the, the satanic rock music, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. like that's the first go-to the propaganda always the does. The devil's lettuce. Think of the poor children. Yeah. Or Nancy, Nancy Grace. What are the babies? <laughs> Nancy Grace. Oh, man. Like, I, I don't, I'm trying to think if there was ever a time in my life that I've been as indignant as she is on a Wednesday. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that lady's a little much. Um, yeah, so you've is. got, uh, and and so there's just kind of like plots within plots within plots, uh, and so you come to find out. I mean, the big reveal, and here's the big spoiler, right? Is it time for me to drop this, Tim? Is it? Yeah, go for it. Too it. early. So, uh, basically, uh, Doctor Christie, this this you know, uh, well respected uh, guy, is Thanos in disguise. He yes. is. He is basically running a species survival plan. He believes that uh, the earth is overpopulated and at the rate we're going, uh, we're gonna run out of resources and the earth will become inhabitable. So he has developed a vaccine that will sterilize uh, people up to like three generations to curb the population to control the population of the world and he's absolutely convinced that this is the right thing to do isn't that called eugenics yep pretty much it's the same thing they did with the tuskegee uh the tuskegee airmen yeah yeah i mean it's that sort of um yeah i mean black and indig- indigenous people have been suffering at the hands of being experimented on for decades mm-hmm. uh, i know about the tuskegee uh, tuskegee experiment or whatever yeah, yeah. Where they they, just... they found these men that had uh syphilis and they said that they would treat them and they never treated them they just allowed the syphilis to run its course uh so they could see what happens to somebody uh that does this whereas you know had they gone to some other doctor elsewhere they would have just what penicillin i mean they would have just gotten the, the treatment yeah, and yeah. uh it ruined people's lives i mean yeah. these these men suffered i mean it's just it's I, I think that's why conspiracy uh really touches with people you know like i my conspiracy thing was that i grew up with the uh roswell uh mm-hmm. my mom would talk about roswell stuff all the time and then x-files came out and, you know, so we're in love with the whole like aliens and the government's covering it up men in you know, black sh- uh, shadowy vans like that. There's stuff going on. There's reports. So there's enough that people are really attracted to that kind of thing. But uh, when you go through CIA files, they have all kinds of shit they did. And so when you oh, yeah, say MK like, Ultra, yeah, like MK yeah. Ultra, uh, um, Operation Northwoods, Operation Paperclip, Operation um, Operation Midnight Mockingbird. Uh, and with all these different groups and, and things that have gone on in the past, you say, well, it's conspiracy theory. You're just a tinfoil lunatic. And like, well, the government's come out and said we do shit, but we're not doing it now. We, we stopped. That's totally not a thing anymore. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely bullshit. So it's, They're yeah. just like doing things they haven't caught on yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like uh, calling something enhanced interrogation techniques instead of what it is torture, just because <laughs> it's, it's a new method to do it, right? Um, but what got me into, and I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, but I am totally into conspiracies. What got yeah. me into it was when I was a kid, uh, I received as a gift a book called Masquerade. And this book was written by this British author, Kit Williams. And it was an illustrated, there were 15 beautiful illustrations. Uh, and it was a 30 page book and, and there were writings on the other side. And what it was, it was a treasure map. Oh. So this book, if you could solve the riddle of the book, you would actually, it would take you to a location in the UK. Geocaching, Where That's you awesome. would find a, a golden rabbit. Um, oh. It bejeweled. I mean, it was just like a, a an amazing piece and uh this was like i want to say it came out in like 79 so before my time it was solved by the time i got the book uh yeah. and uh but it was so fascinating to me that this could be a thing i think it's it sparked something called like armchair treasure hunting i think there's other books like that now but this book just i mean i was totally fascinated that there was a hidden meaning in these pictures and these messages yeah. um yeah and and that it was true and well, I think well for me it's true. always been like a hobby the way people collect butterflies or something like <laughs> i collect conspiracy theories like hey look at the shiny gem that i found that's neat isn't it all right mm -hmm. on to the next shiny gem i've never allowed it to become my life and i think that facebook i specifically want to blame allowed people to just allow this to become their way of thinking and they get so absorbed into it. Well, the well, problem I think... with things like Facebook is if you're only looking at conspiracy theories, all they're going to do is show you posts about conspiracy theories. It's yep. been proven that um, Facebook, although we want to believe that they are an evil corporation, is basically giving us what we're asking for. They're algorithms. The algorithm yeah. takes what you're into and then suggests things like what you're into, which leads There's to There's a the beautiful piece about youtube and the youtube algorithms uh and how that leads people down certain rabbit holes uh and uh, specifically when you're talking about if you wanted to talk about things today, like QAnon or whatever uh but yeah you'll watch one video and then it will assume that you want to watch this other video about conspiracies and mm -hmm. then that one has keywords so it assumes you and then the next thing you know you're in a, down a rabbit hole of echo chamber of tunnel of doom but, <laughs> so what else was, are you gonna do on a saturday <laughs> right <laughs> i think it was last year or uh 27 god it's 2021 already geez where's the time went because last year 2019 uh, they put out this movie called Above Majestic that I watched, and it was, you know, we have a we have a base on the moon, we have a base on Mars, and I worked with aliens, and it just, and then it was hologram reality and light people and lizard people, and it just kept going downwards and downwards. It was it was yeah. more fun than you know a normal Saturday night movie. And the other thing that totally completely fascinates me are cults. Um, yes. And the lizard people thing stems from a cult. Um, and I can't think of the name of it. I, I believe it's run by a woman um, who has just some some really interesting theories and ideas about stuff and things. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this whole lizard people thing started from, you know, I don't know, some backyard in Tulsa. Uh, but just really interesting how these stories fly. 
but going back to the other thing, um, there are grains of truth in some of these stories. There yeah. are, and because some awful things have happened from esteemed agencies or uh, whatnot, it's it's not unreal to believe it. Yeah. In a way. Well, it's it's kind of like the whole Alex Jones thing, you know, for years, mm. everybody was like, this guy's a fucking retard. Like he's not he's spouting out random shit that's not true. And he's making this up. And he's making that up. And then 10 years later, you find out that 80 to 90 percent of what he was talking about that people thought he was crazy about came true. It's like well, it's like these things. I want to be like, very specific. There are two eras of Alex Jones. I watched Alex Jones a lot from '99 to like 2006. That mm -hmm. Alex Jones was like the military and the police are working together, and a bunch of rich people meet up every year in a Bilderberg, and they meet up in Bohemian Grove, and they do weird rich people stuff, and the military is gonna you know close off the parks so that the cities like kind of still in the realm of logic, and then I. Don't know if he ran out of material or just was harping on the same thing, but around 2006, that's when everything like he blew up and he got money and then it became holograms and aliens and ghosts and all kinds of random shit. Well, he's always said things like that, but I'm talking more about his conspiracy theories about the government and such. Yeah, like a lot of that. But I mean, stuff. I mean, minus I mean, the, the first couple the, of years, he was still kind of on the level because you could go to documents and be like, here's stuff the government's actually said. And then he just veered off of all rationale. At <laughs> so yeah, later era is what most people know. The yeah, only, the only uh, works of his that I've been subjected to are, are when he's talking real off the rails. Uh, yeah, um. well, especially especially lately, a lot of his stuff is real off the rails. But remember yeah. also when he first started this, everything that he said was real off the rails. Like he he had he had been for years talking about how. Um, political people are going to sex island is what he called it and um, that there's thing. yeah that there's sex trafficking young boys and young girls and that big people in political power are going out there and having sex with children and mm -hmm. everybody's like this guy is crazy this guy's crazy and then lo and behold jeffrey epstein i i will for the record state uh here and now with you my friend that i have read every single drop that q put out I am not a fanatic who lives by it. I do not go to protest. I have a wife and kids. I have a job. I have a normal life. They were interesting. I don't take them any more seriously than something I found on the internet that's interesting. Well, uh, it's it's blind items for politics. And so it, it is. There's that fun site where they drop the blind items uh, yeah. for Hollywood. Yeah, but it's not. Also I, has its own dirty secrets. But it's also kind of. Uh, a bit more cryptic and so I think people can read into it whatever they want to yeah. Um, but yeah I mean Jeffrey Epstein it's but like I feel like when it comes to human trafficking this is something that has been going on forever yep. and oh, yeah. it stands to reason that wealthy people that have a proclivity to this would find a way um, well not only that but you reach thing. a point where money could buy everything and you yeah like what else is there in life so you go for all the stuff you're not supposed to have which was the uh premise for eight are millimeter you, right are, are you guys yes. justifying uh justifying this no like not no, at no, all. no i'm saying that's why they they reach these conclusions no also, yeah uh, what i'm saying is that that it's it's an easy conclusion to reach because it's been going on forever Oh, I got you. You're yep. saying that he came to this conclusion because it's something that's been going on. Because gotcha. history repeats itself. Yeah, and yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. just power corrupts. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it, it used to not be like really an illegal thing. Like when you go back to like Sparta and the Roman times, it was normal to have like a 10 or 11 year old boy as your concubine. Right. Yeah. 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 Let's not. Go I mean, human that. trafficking and slavery was was the norm. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's how people um, made money back then. Yeah. Um, Apparently, that's how that people just, make money now, too. Yeah. That's never stopped. Um, oh, it still but, goes on in parts of the world. But but the point well, is here. Uh, I mean, it goes on here. Yeah. Um, but people like Epstein, uh, Richard Branson, the Virgin guy, there's stories about him. There's like some, there all these people with like billions of dollars, private islands, submarines. No idea what they're doing in private on those. Dude, places. I want a submarine so bad. Forget the island. I just want a yeah, submarine. Well, who's that guy? There's a. I see a venture capitalist, but he's he has this idea of like making floating islands that are not subject to any territories or laws of any countries he's super rich hold on let me see if i can find his name you you keep talking while i i search for this so so the point we got off on a tangent uh conspiracy fun but utopia's whole thing is based off of a conspiracy that is not a conspiracy that is wrapped inside another conspiracy yeah well it's it, it's it's based off the fact that like you're following these people who are conspiracy nuts following something that's considered a conspiracy and proven to be true yeah you, well, we just don't know the reason is... for it which is what the uh what what the main thing is is the fact that they're like we know for a fact these things are happening but why and of course oh. we find out at the end it's just to uh, make sure that people become infertile for three generations all a conspiracy is is just a bunch of people planning something, but not letting them everyone else know. And uh, that happens all the time. It's called baby showers. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 something that's kept secret, uh, uh, kept secret from everybody else. Though it's it's something that is uh, done kind of in the shadows. Yeah. So, like the the whole idea of having the additional effects of this vaccine that you don't even need a vaccine for because they created the virus and they created a vaccine for the virus that they created, which is also, which is why this is uh, something that I wanted to talk about because there are people out there that believe that COVID is a conspiracy. It could could very well be something that was not, not created, but what you have to understand is that you could take something that exists naturally and make sure it spreads. Well, here you want to go real deep with this yeah. my uh my friend sent me a bunch of articles now he's uh he's he's very extreme in a lot of his um thoughts i love him yeah. to death uh we try not to talk politics because we have very different ideas on politics and i love him and i don't want to not talk to him um and he started sending me all these things about conspiracies that have to do with COVID, which I started reading because I was like, okay, these are mm-hmm. kind of down the down the center. This isn't saying one side is right, one side is wrong, or any of that other junk. Right. But um, the conspiracy is that everything that we've done right now, the creation of COVID, the lockdowns, the basic military state that we've been put into, is the first step of the new world order actually taking over. I've I've heard that. Yeah. Here's and- here's the thing I want to remind you, Tim, is yeah. that the problem is that these are probability vectors. Anyone oh, yeah. who understands espionage and knows anything, uh, like even James Bond level, if you want to go artificial, but shit that actually happened during the Cold War and understanding how 
uh, cellular groups work, how you don't have to have a specific leader and that each part of the machine doesn't have to understand what the machine's doing. It's mm-hmm. all you need is one person at the top and all the people at the bottom don't understand that they're part of this thing going on means that the, that you can have things happening in the world that are negative uh, without having to have everybody involved. You know, like uh, what happened to the Capitol could be one person who's a CIA agent who wanted to make sure it happens. But the phrase here is could be. It's what we call probability vectors. It's that in, in all probability, this is possible and this is possible. Occam's razor tells us that the most logical conclusion is no, people are just stupid and a mess. It's chaos. Which is true. There. But if, <laughs> if you read into uh, terrorism and, and um, counterintelligence and like, you know, all these different things that have gone on over the years that documents come out and said, this is how it's done, or that cinema has taken like Tom Clancy works with this stuff, all his, his media is based off of this kind of stuff, is that you can enter an agent provocateur into a group. Uh, we had this with the... Um, like the, the Black Panther stuff that happened back in the 60s. We had agents who would infiltrate and start problems so that everybody in the group would get involved. And the fact that the CIA and the FBI have done this kind of shit in the past uh, yeah. does not lead lend any credence to say, oh, no, it couldn't happen. It probably yeah. isn't happening. Like COVID probably oh. and the New World Order stuff probably isn't but it could be. And that, that probability is where people like to prey on and make assumptions like, oh, it's obviously happening. I think it might, but I don't, like, well, I'm here, not going to say it is. I'm not going to stake th- my entire life on it being true. Well, here's the, here's the thing though. I mean, even if it wasn't started by as a, or, or if it wasn't, if the whole thing wasn't purposely a conspiracy, the point that I'm trying to make uh, here is that any government organization, actually any organization that has a specific goal in mind will take advantage of a situation. Oh, yeah. And COVID is a huge situation to take advantage of. I mean, just look at the number of, um, and and the list I was going to give you of the uh, different um, presidential or uh, country cabinets that have been resigning over the last like week, week and a half. uh, Most of them have some sort of COVID-based antitrust or COVID-based uh, misuse of funds that's the reason for them having to resign because they were right. funds and things supplied to them to try and treat and take care of their country for covid well i will uh, i will tell you this so going back to floating islands for the rich right yes uh which floating is what islands. uh this is what uh uh, L. Ron Hubbard did with his oh. like sea org was so that he could like have an organization out at oh, sea yeah. so he didn't have to pay taxes. Well, Peter Thiel is the guy behind trying to do that now, and so he's the guy who got Hulk of... Hogan off on the whole Gawker thing, right? The guy that that yeah blew up Gawker. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. his whole concept is like having this floating island that has no restrictions and no governance at, at all for for billionaires to do their brain trust stuff um, you know there, there was a uh, bunch of brain stories trust stuff, is that another name for young children <laughs> right yeah um l ron hubbard has specific stories about him having young boys on his yacht so no, that's kind of a creepy connection because i've heard stuff like that with feel well, l ron hubbard is just a creepy person in mm-hmm. general oh. oh yeah um but as far as covid i think that um 
I think that wildlife trafficking is directly responsible for uh, that situation. Um, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but I definitely think that people have taken advantage of uh, this virus, um, especially in the States, just by not doing anything is doing something. So yeah. having a government so. that did not put uh, logistics and operations at the forefront of trying to uh, be like, hey, the CDC is telling us that we all need to wear masks when we go outside and, and whatnot. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, just letting states pick and choose and making it a political thing instead of a scientifically based, people are getting sick and there's a way that we can slow it down until we can find a way to stop it. Um, instead, we're going on what, like 400,000 deaths in the US. Um, Something like that, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be not surprising, but it will be surprising um, when we have this new administration, how quickly the vaccines get rolled out. Um, yeah. It's not that we don't have them, it's that they're not getting in people's arms. And uh, um yeah, it was it was kind of uh interesting that once the election happened and the votes showed that biden won um that vaccine was all of a sudden available done and tested like they had it been testing it they, yeah. they had definitely been testing everything but it wasn't like like it hit the news really big when biden won that mm -hmm. you know the vaccines are coming that it's you know it's been tested that there's moderna and there's pfizer like before that they were definitely testing it um right. there was definitely news stories about them testing it and that people have had it but not for the general public right and i think it was in december that it started kind of rolling out um so not too long after the uh, yeah. But it also, they came up with this vaccine hella fast. I've never heard of them, you know, coming up with a vaccine in less than a year. Here's here's uh, here's something. Uh, I, I don't know if it was you or if it was somebody else I was talking to about this uh, because I had the same concern about that. But apparently, because it is true that in Wuhan, they were testing on this virus mm -hmm. and they've been testing on this virus for a couple of years. Mm. So from what I was told by, I, I'm assuming that you, with the way you're shaking your head, um, so it must have been somebody else. Oh, Stephen. Stephen told yeah. me this the other day at breakfast um, that they'd been studying this for so long that once the virus became a global pandemic and China was like, well, you know, we fucked up. They shared their research on the virus mm. with everybody else, which is how Stephen is saying that they were able to come up with a vaccine so quickly because they had all this research that had already been done on it. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. Well, well I think that corona, a coronavirus, like different ones have been around. I think that yeah. they've been able yeah. to study them. Which well, is H1N1 and the bird, the bird flu and the, the swine right. flu are both, uh, and even the common flu is, uh, is a coronavirus. It's just a, it's yep. a, a type of virus. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Let's let's just hope these vaccines don't make everybody infertile. <laughs> See, that's that's my concern, and that's why <laughs> Utopia <laughs> hit hit so close. Like, mm -hmm. I'm I'm like, if if you look at that, they come up with the vaccine super quick, and they put it out there because they have a pandemic, and then now we've got a vaccine that has come out so quick, and they're putting it out there. So, like, I will not be uh, an early adopter on this at all. Like give it, give it, give it like two years before I see the babies come out with four heads and like a penis stuck to their left ear or something like that before. I, 
Well, I'll tell you this too. I mean, what Dr. Christie and Thanos got wrong is that like <laughs> they went through extremes to do population control when all you really have to do is give women autonomy over their own bodies and access to birth control. And um, I can guarantee you that the rate of, of pregnancies and births will go down drastically. Nope, 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 nope. Here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that, Alex. Mm. We're going to get, I'm stepping on my soapbox. Okay. Have you seen Idiocracy? Yes. Not in a yes. while, but I've seen it. Okay, that is what will happen. And that's actually how Trump becomes president, because I believe Trump was president before, that's what was funny. it, Terry Crews was the president in that one, I think, mm. um, when 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 he was in. But are you, do you remember Idiocracy very much? I bullet points but i remember the story of they're telling how like there was a decline in births among like yuppies yeah but people was... that were maybe less educated were having mm-hmm. more Not than their fair maybe. share definitely <laughs> like you you would have uh um billy bob and uh Susie q having like 14 kids and then you have susan who runs this uh big facebook conglomerate that's running for political office, having no children because focusing on the job. If you you really want to add a fun layer to this, then you go into uh, zoology and you look at predator prey species because predator species breed very slowly Mm -hmm. and prey species breed very, very fast. And people who live in uh, cities at this apex of wealth and power and money and stuff, they don't have kids or they have like one or two kids, but you go into um, like my ex-wife's parents uh, when we went down to Mexico and they have like 50 kids in each group, but they don't have a lot of money. It's like rural farming. It's, you know, everybody has to have all hands on deck. So you have people like that will just, breed and breed and breed and have tons of kids but the people in the cities don't have a lot of kids tokyo had this problem where japan was going into negative population because all the people in cities were stuck into these these little rhythms italy's having the same issue right where italians have have stopped having as many kids but you know religion plays a part in that uh being mexican-american i can tell you that catholicism is anti-birth control of any sort so really if you educate people and give them autonomy over their own bodies and access to birth control um and that it's okay to use it like that would solve a lot of problems i think that, that given true. a choice um but I, yeah i, I mean agree, yeah. you wouldn't have to go through like this circuitous uh conspiracy of of trying to administer uh vaccine sterilization vaccines but where's no, the fun no. in that and especially yeah, right? <laughs> dealing with a government that has so anti giving autonomy over the body they have to do something in order to get to their their ends you know well here you want a conspiracy theory so yes, I love this one's this one's this one's crazy this one blew my mind and i heard about it this year mother Teresa. so mm-hmm. everyone considers mother Teresa a saint i know Lizard growing person. up Catholic going to Catholic school I thought Mother Teresa was just the be-all end-all um so what was she like an Austrian nun that served the city of Calcutta by giving aid to the poor and less fortunate yeah opening up these shelters and refuges where they could get water you know fresh water and uh antibiotics and whatever they need um come to find out that uh, through kind of uh, reporter's expose, 
all the money that was coming in to this fund for the never made it to these people. They were still these little makeshift hospitals were derelict, run down. They were repeatedly using the same needle on different people to give them Mm. IV injections or whatever. Um, Oh my God, it was horrible. So it was just kind of like, she was this figurehead for the church to get wealth, but the wealth was not distributed to where people thought it should be distributed to. It's a Red Cross. Um, Red Cross has the same thing where there's mm. like, they're just taking the money and pocketing it. And so, uh, but one of the big things that, that was, you know, she was very anti birth control. So you've got these poverty stricken people that have a lot of burden and a lot of, and here they are being ministered to and being told that like this is you know not giving not being given the opportunities to determine for themselves how big their families are yeah and um so forgive me for this i have no idea when mother Teresa actually lived uh well she was around in the 80s for sure i don't think she passed until the 90s okay yeah yeah, Uh, yeah. so then not not her specifically but i i do know that a lot of religions um, push toward not being able to, uh, you know, terminate a pregnancy or anything like that. And I think that actually stems, and especially since it's in religious text, I think that stems from the fact that way, way back when, especially the poor, if you had like five kids, one, maybe two of them would live right. to an age where they'd be able to work. So it was better to have the child, even if you were poor, than to not have the child. Whereas nowadays, children uh, are more likely to survive. Um, I mentioned Daniel we get this in a previous thing with the talking gorilla with Ishmael. It's a fun book series, but there's a part in it where he talks about investigate uh, talking to people in the inner city. And they said they were having kids at like 16. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's a, it's a reproductive survival adaptive strategy wherein they thought they wouldn't live to be 30. So they have kids young, so they would get to know their kids and they would die young because the survival, uh, the mortality rate, like these, you know, specifically uh, low income areas, there's guns, there's violence, there's a lot of bad things going on. So they didn't think they would live. And so they have kids very young. But if you have a higher survivability or things are much easier for you, you have less of a, an impulse to, uh, and that goes back to the, the predator-prey thing, is that it's a, it's a form of adapting to the dangers of your environment. If you think you're not going to survive on a farm, like all these farm stories in the 1800s where like we had, you know, 10 kids, but like seven of them died. You remember the whole, uh, uh, the disease right. thing where like black plague takes away, you know, two thirds yeah, of the population yeah. every so many years. It's but adaptive you also, strategies. You also had to have a large family to work the farm with you. I mean, yep. uh, and we don't, we don't have that. We're, we're getting to this post, uh, agricultural, uh, post, you know, like basic things like well, hygiene's penicillin are taken care of now. We don't have where to... you're at, because if you've ever yeah. passed through Utah or uh, <laughs> I can tell you from experience, um, there are large families with large amounts of kids in them. So this is not something that has to do, I think, necessarily uh, with inner city. I think that this has to no. do with. But the, the, well, the difference is the the who was making the choice to have these large families. And Mother Teresa was actually Macedonian and died in 97. So, oh, wow. Um, 
and I'm not saying it's a, a thought thing. Like a lot of this isn't right. a conscious level. This is a biological response to where you're in an environment. And so this is how populations of, of biological entities, you, you can map this to any uh, sort of biological entity is they breed at a rate of their environment. Hmm. So um, slightly off topic, but on topic as well. It makes me wonder where the majority of the incel population lives. It seems like they're probably more Their in mother's cities. basements? Well, uh. yeah, more <laughs> in cities than in Utah. And I think that if they went to Utah, like, they might be- You can find them there. anywhere. I mean, let's start. I mean, I wanted to touch on uh, when we talked about the capital, like the, you know, when you talk about conspiracy theories, um, you cannot leave out these white supremacist organizations because there is a whole rabbit hole echo chamber of conspiracy theory there, uh, whether yep. you're talking about, um, you know, Zionists or, you know, like whatever the thing is, there are all these hooks to get you involved in this yeah. uh, messed up culture um, mm -hmm. and they're everywhere. Um, incels are everywhere. There yeah. are, there's, you know. I think a lot of being an incel is interpersonal skills, you know, hygiene, stuff like that. They're just, they're not fun to be around. And so that these, these people, you know, they don't treat other people right. And that well, creates this situation where nobody wants to be around them. Yeah. I mean, there's this, there's this whole thought that some guys have that like, well, I'm a nice guy and nice guys finish last. It's like, just because you're a nice guy doesn't mean that you're entitled to sleep with every woman you talk to. Like that's of not how it works. Um, but like, there's this like sense of entitlement for these guys. I've read some articles. I've read some some of the things that these guys write. Yeah, uh, it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like a misogyny there that like they don't even understand like i don't think they can wrap their brains around like how misogynistic they're coming off and, and, and i won't say misogyny but i'm definitely going to say it's it's deeper than that that it's this absolute narcissism and uh solipsism which is like you're the ego takes over and you have this little worldview where everything revolves around you mm -hmm. and your facts that you've built and they if it doesn't things don't mesh with that little world in your head that you built, then that's wrong. And you're right. And a lot of people get stuck into these little, and so that's then on top of that, the misogyny and the. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, narcissists have like an absolute um, history of always being the victim, like, like all these bad things happen in their lives and none of it is in their control, like yeah. that why it's turned out wrong. So they're always the victim, no matter what. It's like they didn't get the the job, you know, and they will never say that they bombed the interview or showed up late to it or had a stain on their shirt. Um, it's always that like, well, they just didn't like me and she was a feminazi, like they gave the interview. It's always something, right? It's something um, to blame, something to point the finger. Yeah, you need to, you need to take a holistic view. You need to understand the working parts and understand it's not always gonna work on the first time. That if you, you, especially in social situations, social situations, you build the, the karmic uh, relationship with the people around you. Mm -hmm. If you want people to like you, you have to do nice things for other people, not because you get anything in return, but because it's good to do nice things for people. And the other thing too, is that I feel like a lot of men and women don't know how to take rejection well. Like, yeah. uh, you know, if you're asking somebody out and they say no, 
that's fine. Like that was a no. And it doesn't have to be something you take to heart. It doesn't have to be something that you stew over. It's just, that was a no. And I, that's cool. I, I blame this all on our parents. And the reason being is I know, <laughs> I know when I was growing up, it was, um, you're great. Um, you know, if, if somebody turned me down, it was, you know, that's her loss, um, that, uh, there's nothing wrong with you and all this other stuff. When, you know, there are a lot of people that there are, there are things that are wrong, then there, there are reasons for most of the time our parents did not have it any more figured out than we did. Yeah. But, but the, but the point is you're, at least when I was younger, I was taught that, um, the person is making a bad decision rather than it's just not a right fit. Oh yeah. Whereas I have the opposite. I, I absolutely know that I'm flawed. <laughs> like I have, I know that I'm problematic. You are and, not um, flawed or problematic. Your limitations. But it's also like, uh, you know, it's kind of like knowing your strengths too. Like yeah. I'm pretty realistic about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And, and that I'm not for everybody. And, yeah. you know, once you get that, it's like, well, okay. that comes with, that comes with growth and, and actually being an adult and, yep. and, you know, getting rejected a bunch of times and actually growing from that. I think in, in this conversation, which just to be clear, I brought up incels as a joke and I did not expect it to go down this <laughs> rabbit hole that we're going down. I, um, I would like to swerve the tangent and tie it into some uh, conversation. I have a lot with friends and that is that they're like, you know, uh, I have this guy at work. Who's like, no one will date me. No one likes me. I don't, I want a girlfriend. Yada, yada. And most of the time, the answer is like, go to a bar and pick up chicks. And the problem with this concept is you're going to get people whose life is the bar. Mm. I tell them, if you like pick a hobby you like, get into social groups that are into that hobby and people who like that hobby will gravitate to you normally. Uh, my wife I met because we're in the same sort of dorky stuff. She likes Edgar Allan Poe. I like Edgar Allan Poe. I didn't have to go to Tinder or dating app. I didn't have to go to a bar and pick someone up. I was to in the To be fair, stuff. when the two of you met, I believe Tinder was not around. That's true. That's true. The uh, only thing we had was her Tinder touch. Well, I will say since quarantine, it's the first time I ever used dating apps just so that I could like have a social life because usually I meet people out in the world. But I think with that, you have to, I think that's a great way to meet people, but like find something you actually enjoy doing because when you go out to, you know, go bird watching, your priority should be on enjoying outside in nature and trying to like spot this bird and not just hitting on like the one woman in the group. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, like, that's another problem like comics and uh, role playing or, or with us as Warhammer uh, that attracts too is those guys who they're like oh it's the one girl at the party let's hit on her and that's that's messed up Don't that's always that. that's always let, let them first of all here's dating advice to anybody listening happy little screams official dating advice let, pe- let people come to you don't <laughs> like it's good to make a move and you know whatever we're not going to get the specifics of dating but it's better if you react to people instead of proact in a lot of situations because then you avoid a lot of these messes of oh i didn't want anything to do with them i've done it all sorts of ways right but i mean you guys know there is a uh, five-part course that sean will be selling at 1995 (laughs) a uh, a course Make it a multi-level marketing thing so that you know. There, there's this you have to get story. five people to sell the 
yeah. <laughs> Where um, you, may, you marry someone or you get with someone in a permanent fashion and then they throw everything out that your hobby and they make you change your life. And that's a huge problem with couples who get together yeah. is if you're not with someone who enjoys, they don't have to specifically enjoy your hobby. It's good to be with someone who enjoys the things you enjoy. But if they are trying to change you, then they're trying to change you. And that means they're not in love with you. They're in love with who they want you to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, find I, someone I, who likes what you like. I, I don't necessarily think that they need to like what you like, but I think, and, and this is probably the wrong word to use it, but they need to be able to tolerate yeah. and they need <laughs> to be able to um, uh, experience. So like they understand in, that in, that's in, your in, life. Yeah. For, for instance, you know, like, uh, I'm single right now and I've been talking with with a lot of girls and uh, one in particular that I'm talking to is really big into puzzles and puzzles drive me fucking nuts. Um, and I am really into wrestling. Like I watch uh, Raw on Monday nights and SmackDown on Saturday nights and I watch every pay-per-view like religiously. And, um, you know, if, if this was to go any further, I would expect her to want me to do puzzles with her. You know, not all the time, but occasionally do that just like I would expect for her to spend a little bit of time with me to watch some wrestling and stuff like that. But wrestling not... puzzles. Oh, there we go. There we go. But I, uh, yeah, but I agree with you. Like I would never tell her no puzzles and I would not, ex I would expect her to never say no wrestling. You know what I mean? Yep. I think, I think for me in my perspective with relationships, um, or just partners or people podcast. you're dating right but for me it's not about like your common interests it's mostly about your common values so if i don't That's if we don't share the same values there's like no no level no way that it's ever going to work like um and i'm fortunate in that like i like a lot of things they're a lot on the nerdy side or but artistic side bookish side um and you know my partners don't have to be but most of them are into art or music or books or like you know um and that's just you know yeah, yeah that makes it, it, that it's makes kind of helped but that stuff's all become super mainstream because like in the 80s it was it was a little harder oh yeah. my god yeah like stranger things and <laughs> world of warcraft world of warcraft i'll say blizzard in in specific have brought so many more uh, uh i don't want to gender it but diversified the player field for games and nerds yeah I am uh, I, I'm obsessed with Overwatch and like half of the people in the voice chat that I encounter are, are feminine in some form. So yeah. that's a huge step up from the old days of dial-up modems when everybody was just sausage fest. Well, Not that I can't do with a nice sausage. Again, fest. when we were when we were when we were younger, <laughs> it, again, it, it goes back to our parents. And, you know, I feel yeah. like I uh, need to get my therapy degree now. Um, you know, our parents were saying that girls need to do girl things and boys need to do boy things. You know, my sisters were supposed to wear dresses and they were supposed to learn to sew and they were supposed to learn to cook. I was supposed to get my hands dirty. I was supposed to, you know, fix the car and build shit and things like that. And it's that's that's not the gender norms anymore. I mean, I, I tell you how evolved with my daughter. We OK, so, so my wife and I are both kind of uh, on the border between. Right. And we're, we're both, uh, um, let's just say we're all over the place. And so the both of us were like, we have a daughter. 
we're gonna be like you want you want to do boy stuff you want to be a man like whatever you want to do we'll support it she's like i'm a girl and i like pretty pink dresses like oh please no don't <laughs> don't fall into this and that's what she she beeline right for it um, but now she now she thinks she's a furry and she's a lesbian so my uh my parents were were great about that uh so my dad was a self-proclaimed feminist and he liked to cook and my mom you know was a cop and so they let me do what i wanted to do as far as like pick my my sports or pick my activities um which were always like i i absolutely think that gender is a social construct so to say that you know i did boy things is nonsense because unless you need your genitals to play this game it's a gender neutral game yeah um uh so in that way i felt like really lucky that i was able to express myself and just do what i enjoyed doing um and i think that that's something of childhood that i will always cherish is that i didn't have that hurdle yeah yeah i i sadly had the complete opposite my dad was uh, he wears it he got kicked out from the rest of the family because he had i won't even repeat it but it's the um uh what's the tricks rabbits phrase oh tricks are for kids yeah but uh i know what i know what it is yeah yeah the, the filthy dirty nasty phrase that people say so he had that shirt and he showed up and they were like you're out of here because uh, right. there's a lot of gay people on that side of the family and they were just he's he's it's like 1950s leave it to beaver era so he's mm. much god government guns and homophobia it was and, not you know, so Stephen gonna, fry oh sorry i'm i'm, I'm gonna um because because i i, I know <laughs> <laughs> you okay sean um I, i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on the uh uh other side of the wall here for a second um, as much as all of that mindset is wrong, can you really blame them? Because that's the way they were brought up. Like if, if the child, it like, like for instance, your, your uncle, Sean, um, his, uh, thoughts on that completely wrong, but in the time period when he was brought up, that was kind of what was pushed. And, you know, if he was brought up now, I, I definitely think, or I, I would hope oh, that he would be a absolutely. different person and have different opinions. It is, it's on a that. cycle. It's a cycle. My dad's father never told him he loved him, never hugged him, treated him like a piece of crap. And at the day he got, uh, he got a, uh, he went to college. He got a government job. He made really good money. He bought a house. He had a family and his, all his dad could say to him was, well, I guess you're not that much of a fuck up. Like oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's a he my father won't change. You can't teach an old dog new tricks type of phrase. He's the kind of person who is stuck and refuses to grow. Well, and growing up with that made me want to be exactly the opposite and taught me to try to be everything he isn't. So I'm on the opposite end where I actually have no center point and I just am always all over the place. I will say that I have, I used to think that, I used to think that you can't teach old dogs new tricks, but I have learned that you absolutely can, because I hear stories all the time of people coming out to their grandparents or people, um, you know, their, their great uncle using they, them pronouns because they've come out as non-binary or they're, you have a choice. I don't think right. that like, yeah, um, and, you definitely... And, and, more it's, rational it's, people, it's yes, choice. 
But my um, father specifically is one of those stubborn people who would rather die on a hill than admit he was wrong. Yeah, yeah. but that's just him being stubborn. That's not yeah. that he can't learn a different way. He just it, refuses to, and that's his he choice. Refuses to. Maybe, maybe, maybe I maybe I misspoke. Um, I'm not saying that they can't learn because, like, my grandmother and my grandfather, um, when I first met them, um, when I started dating when I was younger, they said, "Don't you ever," and they used the explicitive, "bring a black girl home." Mm-hmm. And um, by the time I was in college, I was actually dating a girl of uh, with darker skin, and they loved her to death. So it is very, very possible that people, especially people of that age, because I think they were in their like 80s or 90s at that point, oh, yeah. can definitely change. I'm just saying that if you're brought up in a situation like that, I don't think that we can expect somebody to change their opinion because that's the way it is now. Right. And I think we have to treat them kind of like dinosaurs, tolerate them until they expire. And I feel like I'm always learning. Like I, you know, when the Capitol riots happen, when the insurgency, right, I had reposted something that I'd seen about um, them being called vanilla ISIS. And I thought it was hilarious. And then somebody pointed out to me, right? So somebody pointed out to me, um, and, and quite rightfully so, that basically by saying that you're being Islamophobic, you're, you're lumping these people in with uh, something that's already problematic. Um, oh, interesting. Because of just how much uh, terrorism is, is focused on like Muslim people or black people or, you know, people of a darker shade, right? right. So I had to sit back and think, yeah, like, absolutely. We need to call these guys what they are. They are terrorists, but they are white supremacists. And I like to use that because they've been around forever. Like, I mean, when I think of Ruby Ridge, when I think of all these things, like, like this has gone on since I can remember. Um, and they've just gotten stronger and grown their ranks. And, um, but I feel like the association between you know, terrorism and the war on terror, you immediately associate it with someone who's Muslim or from the Middle East, you know, instead of, yeah. uh, you see a different face. So I think that that all has to change. I mean, I've always- I've ever associated with um, race so much as associated with religion. But I've always said that I am more freaked out about some white guy between the ages of, you know, 22 and 45, uh, doing damage to me than any other like demographic just because you know as a woman living in a city like if i'm going to be serial killed or if someone's going to come in and shoot up my high school uh you know that's one that's of those jeffrey dahmer yeah. looking motherfuckers yeah seriously that's um, fair that's yeah. that's very fair and I, I i never even would have thought that like without you explaining it to me i mean I think it's it's a pretty funny thing. Uh, it's it's but, a pun. I mean, yeah. vanilla ice is, is a f- pun. And yeah. Puns are the but, lowest form of humor. But with the way you put it, yeah, that that definitely it feels like a slur. And I never would have put those two things together. But also, um, the whole idea of um, associating terrorism with Muslims, I think that's a um, something that the media has done to us because that's yeah. what they talk about. It's oh, for always, sure. Yeah. It's been it's been ingrained to us. But when you when you look at our history, we've had on our on our soil, 
we've had more white terrorism oh for sure than we've had of any type of terrorism yeah. yeah and the thing too is that like as far back as i can remember i want to say i was in junior high when we were like in the gulf war like we've always been like there's always been some war on uh some muslims somewhere like there's always been this like association and because of the news cycle that's just gotten faster and faster and faster this like 24-hour news cycle yeah. like yeah they feed us this stuff and it doesn't matter if you're uh watching msnbc cnn or fox news there is a, a point of view mm -hmm. and it's being fed to you on a loop yeah. and you know i wonder yeah. if anybody has done the research to go back and see when that started because the news at one point was legitimately fair equal and they they would do real news stories to try and figure out what's going on like Geraldo Rivera and the, the things that he uncovered like it was real news stories that went against the grain like when did that all change where it just became an agenda cable I'm uh, telling cable you came out I'm telling you Operation Mockingbird when the CIA put their people into all the news agencies and now they just report propaganda created by the anyways that's my tinfoil hat I, I want to uh, say it's when cable news became a thing where you had a cable box in your house. Like, remember back when, like, HBO started? Mm -hmm. So just a little yep. bit before that, when you could have, like, 24-hour television, whereas before, we didn't have that. Like, from the hours of 1 a.m. to, like, 4 a.m., it was some infomercial, right? Oh, actually, didn't it go off? Didn't it, like, at, at midnight or 1 a.m., didn't your... Yep. Uh, Maybe. The, the, I, the last if you watch the movie say, uh, Poltergeist... Uh, that yeah. whole thing oh, where right. after it goes off and it goes to right, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so on today's fun episode, we talk about conspiracy <laughs> theories from the show Utopia. I went Dating. all over the place. That was, <laughs> that, was, that was a wild bunch of different topics. Uh, at the end of the day, be nice to people and uh, try and work with your community to be a better place. Right. Actually, at the end of the day. Utopia legitimately has predicted everything that has happened. And we need a copy of that comic book so we can figure out how to get rid of COVID. Right. We need to. We need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. What did we cover? We covered uh, conspiracy theories. We covered dating. We covered uh, incels, Ruby Ridge. Uh, <laughs> parents, like just old people uh, and cable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. One I thing my, I will say I guess my Adderall wore off. <laughs> you need to you need to share some of that with my doctor will not yeah. prescribe it and I my attention place all over the place. I used I, to be on I, Ritalin. I was a skinny kid and they put me on Ritalin and now I'm huge. Oh wow. And I could never get it off. Ritalin is terrible. I like that yeah. Adderall XR. It, it it's very helpful to me. And I'm not ah. even taking a, a very high dose, just I've noticed a difference in just being able to sit and do a thing and get it done and move on. I need to figure out I need to get a new doctor and get some of that because I have such attention problems. Well, before this, I had like post-its everywhere of like remind I mean, I had to like make lists of things I all the time. I remember the post-its. Oh god, it was just nonsense. Yeah. I, I just like... thought that you had stock in the company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only I had stock in 3M, that would be fantastic. Oh man. Actually, uh, so there's this 
There's this one, I think it's TikTok, but I see her on Twitter all the time. She's a bodybuilding musician lady who it called Allie, I think, who makes a bunch of fun videos of like playing the piano or making up instruments or stuff. Anyway, she did a video recently uh, where somebody had, she had painted a Bitcoin for somebody and they paid her with $50 Bitcoin back in like 2013 and she never looked into it. And then she opened the account and there's like $40,000 in there. So she decided she's just going to share it with like her fans. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's cool. And when in 20, and this goes back to the story that I wasn't supposed to tell uh, in the other episode that uh, Tim cut. And that was at, at a point I was um, on buying Bitcoins because of something on Silk Road, which uh, we won't go into depth on. Fair. But uh, <laughs> purely for me, uh, it would have harmed no one else. Listen, but, uh, what happens on the Silk Road stays on that road. Oh, uh, okay. no. What happens on the Silk Road ends up getting shipped to the house, put in the freezer for a later consumption. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that was the batch that we took, but... The point is, at that point, my dad had moved out of his house and they moved from California to Missouri because California's taxes are astronomical. Right. And uh, Missouri, he for the price, he would have bought a, like a little two bedroom house in California. He got like 10 acres and a big house in mm-hmm. Missouri. Uh, also, it's in the middle of nowhere and there's no jobs. So he took out money and gave me $10,000. And at the time, I looked at Bitcoin and I thought I should put to ten thousand dollars into Bitcoin. Uh, but my wife, you know, we we basically it was like not a good idea because you know at that time in 2010, Bitcoin was not exactly a reliable thing, or people didn't know where it was going to go. They were five dollars a coin, mm. And I was going to sink thousands and I didn't. And I have lived every day in the shame and guilt and shadow of that missed opportunity. Yeah, but how, how would you have known it was going to go anywhere? I mean, yeah. that that Bitcoin had been around for so long at that point. It had been worth like 2002, it was pretty right? much worthless. Yeah. 10, like that. 2010 is when it was about 29, 2010. People started talking about it in the on the Internet social circles. I kind of feel like if you didn't get in on it, like, cause it, it, it kicked off in 2002, I want to say. And if you didn't get in on it by like 2005, I think like the boat was missed. I'm not sure. Well, but. no, no, no. It, the boat wasn't missed until it like skyrocketed, what, like three, four years ago? Mm, yep. because, okay. because before that, I, I think its highest point was like maybe three to $600 a coin. Yep. And then it jumped up to, what was it, $25,000 a coin? And now it's been sitting at about like six grand a coin. Mm. Yep. And I'm saying that I calculated if I, my $10,000 at five to seven bucks a coin had been sitting there and I had sold when they peaked up here at what, like 10,000, 15,000 uh, a while back, I'd be multimillionaire. And it's yeah. what it could have should us. What it could have should us. Yeah. I'm just sad. I want money. I'm so sad I have no monies. Well, for, well, for your own sanity, you should look into some other uh cryptocurrency because i i've they've got some other stuff going on my son swears dogecoin is gonna it's gonna pull dog coin is gonna go nowhere yeah <laughs> i was coin. thinking of like ethereum or something like that <laughs> yeah ethereum actually ethereum is uh it's been so um i don't know if i told you this alex i've been doing a lot of stock trading lately and i've been i've been keeping an eye on um the digital currencies and ethereum it seems like it's been going almost the opposite of bitcoin so when bitcoin goes down 
it seems like Ethereum goes up. Hmm. At least, at least you know, like it's not like I'm I'm researching every day, but when I I look at it about like one two times a month, and it looks like that's kind of the trend. Like it it works in opposition of it. Which hmm. I, guess I wonder kind of if makes there's sense, a comic book are... that will predict this. <laughs> well, there are people that that actually predict these things and are really good. I there's a name for them too, uh, but there are people that that make predictions on like stock options and you know they look into like soybean futures and figure out what's going to happen 12 years from now and yeah. uh they're really amazing at it so i was um and i think that for every person like that there are a million people that make the wrong choice <laughs> well um so with what i've learned so far um one of the things you look at when you're when you're buying and selling stocks is you look at the analyst predictions because there's a different prediction from each one of the companies. Mm. Um, but something my aunt told me is that these predictions are usually about like a month to a month and a half old. So if if uh, Merrill Lynch is saying buy Apple, that's probably because Merrill Lynch a month ago told their bosses or whoever the, the <laughs> advisor is, their bosses that Apple is going to go up. We need to buy this. So they buy it at $10. Mm -hmm. a piece. Then they tell everybody to buy it. So a month later, all of a sudden it goes up to $20 a piece and then they like sell it. And then they tell everybody to sell it. So it's like, this is, this is how big companies stay rich and how uh, we all end up getting fucked in the ass without uh, any permissions. Yeah. And I think that there's like this, this, um, misunderstanding about people that you know do these high-end financial things they, they've got some brilliant people working up oh, there yeah. they've got some like you know phds in science like whatever like just real interesting uh resumes some of these people have it's not they pick from the cream of the crop they go yeah, out and they look for it's these definitely not just like people throwing darts at a dartboard um, no definitely not yeah. Well, there's there's a there's a whole science behind it. Like mm -hmm. you can tell based on um, like what's happening in politics, how uh, so uh, whether Biden or Trump was going to win uh, mm -hmm. if uh, and I, I don't know which one's which uh, as far as for this thing that I'm going to tell you. But uh, if one of them won, then electronic futures were going to go up, which means that it would be good to put money into electronics. The other one won. It's the financials that needed to go up. So depending on which one was one, that's the direction you go. So um, I believe it was that the electronics go up if Biden wins, because I know uh, one of the mutual funds that I'm in is all electronics based and that has skyrocketed since the election. And uh, my aunt was watching the news and like every day, like, okay, well, it looks like this is going to happen. So maybe we should position here. And then the next day it would be slightly different and be like, okay, well, this is going to happen. So now we need to position here. So it, it, it really is kind of based on the uh, the news and, and figuring out what the correlation is between the type of stock and what's going on in the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, I think uh, maybe we'll leave everybody on that little bit of tidbit, give them a little bit of uh, stock advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Happy Little Scream podcast. If you like what you heard, you can find more on all major podcast providers. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. There are links on our website, happylittlescreams.com. Please like and subscribe. And if you're feeling even more generous, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Your donations help keep us going. Until next time, good night and happy screams. This is the end now.
Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.